And oh, that's, that's one of the goals of this study. I want our hearts to be enthralled with God. I want them to burn with f- fascination. I, I mean, I just want you just to be like, oh man, I am about to go have the wildest weekend. Really wild? What are you going to do? I'm going to gaze on beauty. Oh, how are you going to do that? I'm going to look at God. Feel like that's, the, you know, with, the, with an unrenewed mind, like that's the dullest thing ever. You're like, no, 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 no. I'm going through sextillion, uh, you know, solar systems to see him. You know what I'm saying? I am going to experience the vast expanse and enormity of the uncreated God, and my soul will be shocked. God is so big that for infinity, you'll be blown away. For infinity. Like a billion years is the starting line. For infinity, you'll be going, I mean, (laughs) do you understand who we're dealing with? I guarantee you we don't. The things that bother us, I guarantee you we have no idea who we're dealing with. No idea who our dad is. No idea who our bridegroom is. Zero. I mean, we think we do. We got a little language, a few verses. We have barely got the depths of this thing. There is a realm of divine entertainment when we can engage God and your soul will move at a level that nothing else can move you. Beloved, that's available in this age and he still calls that the best, the one that's got the most revelatory encounter with God, the most view of the greatness of God, the most stunned person in majesty, the most enthralled person is behind a glass. And he's only seeing darkly. <laughs> so goal number one, to be enthralled with burning hearts, fascinated in the inexhaustible supply of the majesty of God. Goal number two, I want our community to have language, to have our mouths filled with the language of beauty and majesty. I mean, really have language that's, I mean, that really begins to express from a burning heart the truth of the greatness of God. And this is not simply about sort of going to the thesaurus and lining up the superlatives. Because I've done that. I go to the thesaurus and I line up the superlatives and I, you know, I start reading them. Resplendent. Yeah. I want to know resplendent. And, and that's okay to do that. But there's something about this. When the truth is real in here, when you really begin to touch this thing in here, you can look at somebody and say, his greatness is unsearchable and it will pierce them like a javelin. Because when it's real here, the word that comes forth from here is filled with glory. He's given us this thing that when when faith is true in our heart, when we speak, life is released. That's how you get saved. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and boom, dead souls become alive. That's how the gospel pierces and penetrates 
people who are dead spiritually. You believe it here, you say it to the person, and it's the boom, the power of God into salvation. Well, how much more in the expression of who he is that if we have language that's real and it accords with hearts that have encountered God, that we begin to unleash language that's coming from a burning heart of fascination. We're singing the prophetic song. We're preaching the prophetic word. We're describing the, the undis- indescribable God. We're saying it with conviction and real hearts in our life. I'm telling you, like a javelin, it will pierce the heart of the dull. Oh, man. I want it. I, I, it's, I'm a language guy. I like words. And I'll just grope. I'll grope for a word that, makes, like, that begins to touch it here. Like even now, as I'm saying these things, in here, they're about a level eight coming out of my mouth. I can tell it's like a level two. It's okay. Because I'm going to stay with this until the level eight comes out at a level eight. And then the level eight turns to a ten and it comes out as a ten. And then we're all like cowering under the majesty of God. Right now, my, the collective response I can get about talking about the majesty is the dog at the new sound. But, but in a minute, and we need a whole company. We need a whole company just to make this your portion, make this your feast, going deep in the knowledge of who God is. And so when you say a word, when you quote a scripture that's alive in you, boom, like a javelin, it will penetrate the heart. It will crack the stony heart. It will heat the cold heart. And it will, it will break the blinders off the dull. Guys, listen, you got to hear me on this. Uh. We have a world that is completely deluged by false beauty. Drowning in false affection and false beauty and false majesty. The entire perversion industry is predicated upon false beauty. Come on. We have got to be able to declare the truth of beauty in a way that it will rattle the hearts of humanity. That blinders will come, they'll just come off. And that, that, that arrow will pierce the soul and conviction will fall. We've got to get this in our language. We've got to get it in our songs, in our prayers, in our preaching. Our mouths have got to be filled with this. Again, it's not just about getting a few superlatives, lining them up. It's about being fully whelmed in here, just overflowing in here with glory. I mean, glorious splendor of his majesty. What was David saying? Psalm 145, he goes, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. Songs that are prophecy. Words that are power, they are power nodes that release lightning. Do you know what I'm saying? I want to be able to say something and heaven's lightning hits the word and the person that's, the hearer, they are they are, they're, 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 they're busted. You know what I mean? Like they just, there's no way that they're going to be able to stand before the onslaught of that. Lightning from heaven on the words. Thunder on the voice. And look, you don't have to be a worship leader, a singer, though I want it on the worship leaders and singers. We got to have it on, but just in your prayer closet. I mean, you get this rich in here and you say, Jesus, 
Let Atlanta see your beauty. There's no telling the tremor it releases in the spirit. We've got to get language. So my goal is a heart, that hearts would be absolutely enthralled, whelmed with the idea of God's glory, and our language would be dripping with this beauty and majesty language. Stuff that has real unction and anointing on it that when it's said, it penetrates hearts and causes blinders to fall off eyes that rattles people. I want to I rock people. Not, not through shocking words, through shocking anointing. You know what I'm talking about? I remember the first time I, I uh, sat in a meeting with one of the apostolic leaders from China. And just as the man came on the platform and began to just speak the presence on his words i was bent down and weeping under the anointing coming off of him guys there's so much more available if we can touch this place in god thirdly third goal i want i want us to all have incredibly rich prayer lives I mean, I, I want it to where you are in your prayer time and you look back at your watch and you go, what just happened? Four hours? No way. Oh, no, it's over. Right now, our staff, they have, they have timesheets. They have a sacred trust that they keep that has their hours. And we're all the same. Let's just be honest. And they'll be, you know, it'll be like, okay, a meeting that we got to be at and 6 o'clock comes and at 6, 5.59, we're all like, hallelujah. Six o'clock, glory to God. Okay, hallelujah, we're out of here. I want this thing to come on us in such a depth that our prayer life becomes so rich that six o'clock goes and we go, oh, no, can't be. Oh, I need need a heavier dose of beauty and majesty right now. I, I need to engage you more. I mean, the, where, where your heart is just, I mean, itching for more of God. And, it, and the time in his presence is absolutely rich. I mean, just rich with encounter with the throne. Real encounter with God. You know, the, the bottom line is this. It doesn't matter who you are. You will not pray Right unless you have a vision of the throne. What are you praying to? Unless we have clarity on the throne and the majesty of that place, the grandeur of that place, the authority, the power of that place, unless we have a recognition of the one that's on the throne, whom which we have an audience with by the blood of Jesus, the entrance that's been granted to us, the grace to come and make a request any single time, unless we have real comprehension of this throne, our prayers will be weird and weak. And God is so kind. I mean, he's not up there going, that stunk. That prayer was just weak. He's not doing that, thankfully. Thank God you and I aren't God. But think about how we pray oftentimes to to God as if he's impotent. God, if you could really just, you know, maybe maybe try to do this. Like, could you, you know, possibly, you know, I know this is, don't want to take too much, you know, it's almost like we don't want to take too much of your time. He's going, my eye is on you and my ear is attentive to you. I have all the authority and all the power. I'm uncreated. Everything else 
is, is the Energizer Bunny. It's all running on batteries from me. What do you need? Like, I can seriously do this. We will, we will pray so mi- in such a misguided way. You know what I'm saying? We, we will pray in such a, such a limited way if we don't have a picture of the grandeur of our God. There is, oh man, there are realms of intercession, partnership with his heart. There are, there are so many deep places that we have access to in the emotions, the depths of God's glory that we have barely even touched. And we mostly walk around, and I'm talking about me and you, we mostly walk around kind of not knowing what he wants, not knowing the way he feels. Oh, beloved, let's go headlong into the majesty of God and get our hearts so lit up with his emotions. That there's, there's this uh, incarnational thing that happens to us where the Holy Spirit in our spirit, man, it spills over into our emotions and we're feeling what God feels and we're thinking what he thinks and our minds are being fully whelmed, fully renewed. I want to see him as he is. I want my prayer life to be focused on that throne. And I want to talk to God as if he is who he is. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to wallow anymore. I feel like we're mired in dullness in America. Do you know what I'm saying? We're so familiar with so many natural things and we're so unfamiliar with God. I want to become so alive with Him, with the life of God coursing through me because my gaze is locked and my mind is changed and my soul is changed and my vantage point is changed and my language is changed and all through the throne the lens of the throne my prayer life changes my proclamations change because I see him we just see him just a little bit and all of it changes guys we come up here. We get up out of the mire of this age. We get up out of those things that are weighing us down and keep, keeping us earthly minded. It's, it's that thing, you know, people too heavenly minded. Beloved, we are nowhere near heavenly minded enough. We've yet to see. We have no comprehension of his inheritance in us and our inheritance in him. We have so little understanding of real beauty. Come on. Think about how distracted we are by such false beauty. By so much false beauty. We have no comprehension of real beauty. Oh, if the church. You know what's going to make her radiant? When she sees him. She's going to see him and The blinders are going to come off. And as she gazes on his beauty, that beauty will be imparted. That's the amazing, wonderful thing about what the scripture says about God's majesty and glory, it's actually contagious. If you stare at God, it will get on you. His beauty will, will adorn you. This is all, we have a good deal going. Full access to the pleasure epicenter of the entire created order that's full of beauty, glory, and light, and majesty, and splendor. And when you engage, it gets on you. Oh, man. I don't want to waste my time mired and wallowing in dullness. I want to lock in and I want to engage the throne. I want to pray in a way that makes sense 
based on the one to whom I'm praying. The fourth thing, I can't even get over the introductions here, Kang. We're going to go nine months on this. Let's just, I can't even get past the introductions. And maybe that's what's just going to happen. Maybe I'm just going to get to a place of frustration and sit up here and just travail until something pops. That would be a lot easier. Mm. All the ladies who had babies, and it's not really that much easier, is it? Okay, fourth goal. I want to transform our pursuit of him from seeking him for something from him to seeking him for him. Because when we seek him for him, we get all that he's got. The admonition biblically over and over and over is seek my face. Seek my face, seek my face, seek my face. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear and I will heal. He didn't say seek my healing. Or even my forgiveness. He says, seek my face. Guys, the bounty of God is in him. It's him. Christ, our magnificent obsession. The father of glory. The father of lights. The father of all mercies. It's all in him. If we'll go into him, oh, all that he has is ours. But it's transforming us from from seeking for stuff from him to seeking him. And allowing the itch in the soul to be scratched by him and all the possible things we could ever dream of come from him. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. All the supply that, that we need in life is in him. We seek him for him and then all the other stuff is ours. I think we've, we've been a little bit maybe taught in a misdirected way that we seek God for things. And I know the scripture asks, you know, there are, there are definitely uh, places in the Bible that says, you know, you know, seek the Lord for this or that. But man, the pinnacle is him for him, seeking him for him. Seeking him for him. Oh, that we be a people that live that way, seeking him for him. Seeking his face. <sighs> I want to truly see him as he is, perceive him as the pearl of great price, as the fairest of 10,000. I want to see him as the perfection of beauty, the definition of beauty. A verse or two, Psalm 27, verse 8, it'll come up. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will see. And then David says, don't hide your face from me. This is how we're to live. He goes, I want you to seek my face. Our our response has got to be, that's what I want. I want you. I want you for you. Now don't hide from me. Don't play hide and go seek with me, God. You ever been there with the Lord? A little hide and go seek? He loves hide and go seek. Oh man, I've had it. I've had this happen to me multiple times. You got the prophetic word. You got the sense of the Lord. He's drawing you in. You're whelmed with hunger. You're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go after God. And then you go and you lean in. And you're like, God, oh, I want to seek your face. And it's like dry. 
You're like, oh no, you've trapped me. You got me on the hook. And now you're doing the slow reel, slowly reeling me in. Because he's trying to defeat all my sensibilities and destroy all the, all the uh, things in me that would, would fight against him. He's wearing me out so that I'll just be completely susceptible to his will. I go, oh no, I, I had the prophetic word, tonight was going to be the encounter. <laughs> he goes, yeah, tonight is the encounter of coming face to face with hunger that will destroy you. Oh no! <laughs> he says, seek my face. I go, Lord, I will seek you, but don't hide from me. I, I, David, and I just get David sometimes. He goes, oh, but don't play hide and go seek, please. And the Lord goes, well, I'm the one that actually makes the rules of the game here. But then he goes on to say, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And he declares the blessing. He goes, all you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. All you that are pure in heart, you will see the face of God. All All you that mourn, you'll be comforted. This is our portion, beloved, to seek him out, to go after him. I want to live this way. Look at Colossians 3. It'll come up on your screen. Look at, look at this admonition. I just, I, this has been like a, a, a scripture I memorized since young, since young, when I was young in the Lord. But I just, I, I'm so, I'm touched with how in your face this is about what I'm talking about. Because if you are then raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not on things on the earth. And Paul's thundering admonition is, get heavenly minded. And he contextualizes it in being uh, freed from legalism and not going into lasciviousness. If you read it in context. And he does the same thing in Romans 8. Just a little side note if you want to study it out. It's being freed from legalism and not going into lasciviousness. And the answer is set your mind on the throne. Because the truth of who God is and the beauty of God recontextualizes the entirety of your life. And we have the New Testament strong admonition. Here it's more crystal clear than Romans 8, but it's still the same in Romans 8. Where the the Lord is telling us, live this way. With your mind on the throne. Live this way, seeking the throne. Seeking beauty. Setting your mind on beauty. This is how we are supposed to. You're made for this. It's how we're supposed to live. I am, I'm pained when I see the church and the lost and I just see people living for, oh, so many crazy things, so distracted with so much and they're made to engage with God. And even in the church, we, we tell people, you're made for this, that, and the other. I go, no, firstly, you're made for the throne. You're made to go face to face. You're made to go face to face with God. 
Look, and I know in the flesh, no man can see his face. I get this point, but man, he, he gives us entrance by the Spirit. The blood of Jesus is on us. The access is open, and there's all sorts of potential, and who knows? I mean, John goes up. What, what happened? John's, I mean, he's, he, I, you know, and maybe this is what we need a little bit more of. John is sequestered. I know he's arrested by the Romans, but he's sequestered by God. And he's on an island where he's got nothing to do but Jesus. Well, what else would you do if you were on an island that was a prison? And they're just dropping off a little food here and there occasionally. Well, you would be in the spirit too. Because you got nothing else to do. And maybe that's what we need. There's a little bit of turning off all the inputs. A little bit of nothing to do but God. Come on. Because I was in the spirit. A voice behind me like a trumpet. Oh. And he engages with Jesus for two full chapters. And I don't know how long a time that is, but it's a while. Seven letters worth. And then he blasts off. He blasts off. Behold a throne. And one seated there. He's looking. I mean, what in the world? John is looking at the eternal father. In this age. He's looking at the eternal father. He's looking at the uncreated one. He's looking at the one who wraps himself in light like a garment. Who has to approach humanity. He says, I come in the thick darkness. In his theophanies, he wraps himself in darkness because he's wrapped in light that you can't approach. And (laughs) he goes up and he's looking at God. And there's the living creatures. Living creatures. You ever thought thought on the living creatures? Eagle, ox, lion, man, right? Well, what existed first? Lions or living creatures? Living creatures. They existed first. So when he makes the lion, what's the lion testifying of? The throne room. Just a side thought. The eagle. It's a picture of the living creatures. Because that guy was there first. Eagle head was there first. Oh, I'm just... He, he sings holy. I mean, what, what... Our eagles are telling us about the throne. Our lions are telling us about the throne. The ox tells us about the throne. He even knew what he was going to make humans look like, so he puts a human face on a living creature. We haven't touched it yet, gang. We, haven't t- we don't know what we're doing yet. <laughs> we, uh, my new favorite sentence, we're walking around in a maze made by God in which he's written his name on every wall. He's everywhere. The heavens declare his glory. There's, there's, much, there's much available for us. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. The apostolic admonition, set your mind on things above. Why? Because he says the, in Romans 8, the mindset on things beneath is death to you. 
The carnal mind is death. It's an enemy of God. I mean, so much of what we've embraced as common sense is demonic. It's demonic, natural, earthly wisdom, which James says will destroy you. Let's get wisdom based in the lens of one seated on the throne who's matchless in glory, matchless in splendor, matchless in potency, matchless in grandeur, matchless in beauty. He can move you more than anything, I promise. Oh, if we will just take a minute to turn aside and see, turn aside and see, turn aside and see, see the burning bush, turn aside and see the voice that's been speaking to you. That Tozer quote, man, he said, he said, we won't be in eternity one millisecond till we recognize we live the entirety of our life as paupers. Turn aside and see, gang. It's our time to turn aside and see. See the voice that's been talking to you. See the one that's matchless in grandeur. Matchless in grandeur. Oh, I want to quit being impressed with natural things. I want that that line from that song. The things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I I want that. I'm just going to just wrap it up here. This is. Like on the second point of the introduction. Psalm 26, verse 8. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm after. This is where I want us to go. Psalm 26, verse 8. He says, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. I've loved the habitation of your house in the place where your glory dwells, we must become a people so enthralled with the throne that we would prefer to dwell in his house more than we would prefer to be anywhere. I've loved the habitation of your house. I love the place where your glory dwells. David is writing that as he's in the tabernacle of David with the ark and the cherubim covering the mercy seat and the Shekinah glory of God burning like blue flame in front. Yes, this is better than any conquest. This is better than any you know, economic release to our nation. This is better than any human accolade. This is better. I love the place. Where the flame burns. This is what I'm after. I want, I want to disciple a people. I want to be one myself. Maybe I can disciple my own soul first. But disciple a people into being throne room gazing lovers of the glory of God. I mean lovers of the place where his glory dwells. This, this is where we must go, beloved. And I just, I know we're familiar with some of these thoughts, but I would, 
I would really propose to us that our familiarity with some of these thoughts is about an inch deep. We are a little tiny, minuscule bit familiar with these ideas. And there is a universe of opportunity available for us in God, an encounter with God, to shock and awe us. That's what we're made for. We are made for beauty. You are made for beauty. You're made to gaze on beauty. You're made to get clarity as to what true beauty is and not be distracted and drawn in by fabrications and falsehoods that falsely declare themselves to be beautiful. If it's not like God, it is not beauty. He is the very definition of beauty. If it's not holy, it's not beauty. Beauty is holy. It's not clean. It's not beauty. There's an entire generation drowning under a deluge of perversion and filth because they don't know beauty. And they're buying a lie. And they're engulfed in this counterfeit. And oh, my soul tells me there is so much more available in the church we've barely touched What's possible in God in beauty? (laughs) Here's the thing. It's not simply about seeing the beautiful. It's like what I said last week. Beauty is perceived. It's perceived through all the senses. We got to get our mind around this one. Like here's here's a simple thought that we've never, never really touched. Beauty is perceived through the senses. If you hear it, it's beautiful music. If you taste it, it's beautiful food. If you smell it, it's a beautiful aroma. If you see it, it's a beautiful sight. If you touch it, it's a beautiful feeling. Here's the thing. God is the definition of beauty, and he is the most pleasurable of all. There's nothing that even touches God in terms of pleasure. And beauty and pleasure are linked. So he's the most beautiful and the most pleasurable. That makes total sense. But here's the point that we got to get. When we first engage God, I'm talking about when we actually go there, every one of your senses will hit 10. You will smell and taste and see and touch and hear beauty. And you will be shocked at the infiniteness as every one of your senses maxes out instantaneously. I want to get maxed out on God. I want to smell the fragrance. There's an aroma of Christ the scripture talks about. There's a fragrance There's a sight to see, a sound to hear, a taste and see the Lord is good. There's a touch to feel. All of our senses. Overloaded. Overloaded. And I want to live as close to the edge as I can possibly live in this age. I mean, Moses asked for the death toll. Say, I want beauty, God. Give me your face. I want beauty. I want all of it. He goes, it will kill you, son. I can't have you dead just yet. 
that's max you out to the highest level. It will cause you to glow. So you're going to actually have to wear a veil from now on. I'll do the veil. Think about that. He's a man wearing a veil. Why? Because he got maxed out. Guys, what's possible? This is how I want to live. I want to love the habitation of your house. I want to love the place your glory dwells. I want to be clear with you. This is not a preaching point or a show for me. This is where I want to go. And I want us to go there. Let's all go there. I want an entire community of people that go, I actually went up. I'm not talking about this little thing in your mind. I mean, you're in there. I don't know how it works. But you get so focused until he goes, just here, just take the elevator ride real quick. Why not? I'm not talking about weirdness. I'm talking about biblical reality that is available. There are places to go. Paul went up. David went up. Daniel went up. Ezekiel saw saw it all come down. (laughs) Take that one too. Moses, the elders of Israel, 70 elders ate dinner with God on the pavement, and, and Moses called it an inferior covenant. They ate dinner with God on the sea of glass. No, they, humans, ate dinner with God on the sea of glass. On the sea of glass. What is that? Paul called that an inferior covenant, what Moses had. All right, let's just stand. Will you just agree with me that we haven't scratched the surface yet? We just haven't scratched the surface yet. But we're going to. We need to get on a 10-year. I mean, I'm going to talk about this for a few months, but we, let's get on a 10-year hobby of gazing on beauty, of engaging with shock and awe. Come, Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to do. I just want to, if you just, if you say, you know what? I know I'm supposed to be an intercessor or a, a preacher or a singer or an artist or whatever. And it doesn't have to be the platform thing. It could just be even devotionally or, or small groups or whatever. But if you feel like this is a message the Lord wants you to carry, I want to, I want to pray for you. I want to ask the Lord to mark you with it and, and, and to draw you in to beauty and majesty. So that's it. I just want to invite you forward.